got a new episode of Swings and Mishes coming up. For almost 50 years, All Year Cooling has been the place that keeps all of South Florida cool. Listen, it is April, and then you know, living here in South Florida, summer is coming, and you do not want to wait to have your system checked. You do not want to wait to replace your unit. You know how this goes. It gets very hot here, basically from the end of April into May and all the way through the summer into the fall. To give you an idea, 10 years ago, I called Tommy Smith at All Year. He is the owner. He's been the owner, he and his family, for decades. And I purchased a new unit from them. And here we are, 10 years later, I've had absolutely zero issues, and they have the best customer service of any air conditioning company I've ever used. In fact, I think I may have called Tommy twice personally in 10 years. I needed some help. And within the hour, they're at my house. They show up very professional they do a great job and then i'm good to go for months and months and years they're incredible in fact if you schedule a new unit installed before the afternoon they will come and put a new unit in your house in the same day no one in south florida can guarantee that they offer up to 60 month financing and remember i personally use all year cooling and tommy has been a personal friend of mine for over 10 years you call him you let him know you want a cool unit in your house this summer don't wait till june till it breaks down you have to do it now call 866-381-3554 or while you're listening to this podcast take your phone out go to their website allgearcooling.com click on the call now button you'll get connected directly to them and by the way my friend the owner tommy smith you can text him directly from your phone from the website right now and he'll set you up all year cooling is my personal place to go they keep my home cool they keep my family cool for more than a decade the number again 866-381-3554 hello baseball fans and welcome to another episode of swings and mishes i'm your producer jeremy Tache, joined by our host craig mish who sent out uh, one of my favorite tweets he's ever sent last night, insinuating that the Marlins should trade for Tim Tebow. And it was the greatest joke that he's had on this website uh, since I've been following him, which is, you know, for years now. So, Craig, why don't you just go ahead and just put those, uh, put those rumors to bed for those who took that seriously. There is- I think that's a good way to wrap up the show. Thanks to everybody who's listening. <laughs> and it's, been a, it's been a pleasure. Look, at this point, we're just trying to have some fun here, guys and girls. Look at it. I mean, the Marlins haven't scored in two games. It's, it's been rough. And right, I think I may have been sleeping and woke up in the, like, because I go to bed relatively sweat. early. I, got, I have young kids, <laughs> you know. So I just thought, wow, what if uh, they brought in Tebow? Man, that place would be packed. And they could sell a lot of tickets and all the pressure of all these other guys goes right to him. And then I hastily sent that tweet out. Yeah. An absolute dream. Yeah. Is what joke, that is. You know, it's not going to happen, obviously. But, but I just thought like, oh, you know, like Tim Tebow, I went to Florida. Everyone knows that. One of my favorite football players of all time in college, pro, love Tim Tebow. I'm a huge fan. I'm a Gator. It's obvious. I, I know they're not going to sign him. I know that's not going to happen. But if I could take some of the onus off the Marlins and put it on me for being stupid for a day, that's fine. If anybody wants to book me for interviews on why the Marlins are signing Tim Tebow, contact Jeremy and I'll peer across the country and <laughs> talk about it. 
like I do on a lot of other things. But look, we're just having some fun here. You got to make light a little bit of this situation. Mm-hmm. The truth is, is that this is as bad as it's ever been for me covering the Marlins. Never been worse. This is it in terms of the on-field. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to have a little bit of fun here. And knowing that we had to do a podcast today and talk about it for an hour, I think what you'll see is, especially with me going forward, is some out-of-the-box type thinking on some of these things. And, and look, and, and we'll get into this and talk about the major leagues versus the minor leagues because I do have some very strong opinions on that. But at least for the time being, Jeremy, having some fun. Don't take me too seriously when it comes to that. And anytime I send a tweet out saying this may be my worst idea of all time, <laughs> that's how you know that I am kidding, okay? So we can move on from that now. Yeah, well, and you were at the game on Tuesday. I was at the game last night. Uh, and neither of us saw a run scored. Um, and the expectations were not quite this. I think we all knew that the Marlins on-field product at the major league level was not going to be anything better than, you know, one of the worst teams in the league. That said, I don't think, um, that we expected them to be this historically bad. Um, and you actually sent out a tweet, uh, a couple nights ago. Um, and I'm just going to read it directly here, that it was barring something unforeseen, the Marlins are headed toward historically bad. That's not troubling. The top pick is huge. What is troubling is virtually every in-house evaluator told us this team would be better than they are, and that's an issue. So I'm wondering, you know, are, are your feelings that this is okay? You know, are, are the Marlins okay with what's been happening on the field? You know, they're 10 and 31, averaging two and a half runs a game. Yeah, and, and this is the troubling part for me because w- what, the, what this new regime is doing is telling us that they're going to be a lot more transparent and honest, and I would agree with that since day one, since they've come in. But this is kind of the first time where I, I, don't, I don't think it's fair to say that I was duped because I think that I, we all knew that the team wasn't going to be good. We all knew the team could potentially lose 100 games again. But I just don't think it was fair going into the season to say that, that we have to get better, we have to win more games. And even privately, I had people tell me that, hey, look, this is a team that could surprise some people and, and don't be surprised with some things. And so I have so much respect for the organization and the people who are running it even now more than I, I've ever had for the, for the previous guys. And I do feel a a little burned on that. I do, because here I am trying to be as impartial as I possibly can. And I keep it real, I think, for, you know, for the most part, except for Austin Dean, Um, you know, from a positive and and negative point of view, I I try to keep it as as down the middle as I can. And I'm being told that that, uh, you know, it's not going to be a disaster and it's probably going to be better than than you think. And, and so I portray that message. That's what I do. If I'm not as smart as the guys who are running this team. And so if they tell me something, and by the way, if they say it publicly, I think it is fair hmm. to go back and listen to that audio from Marlins CEO Derek Jeter, from Marlins manager Don Mattingly, from Marlins president Michael Hill, and say that all of those guys thought this team was going to be better and and th- and that's a problem. This team, how did they think that? How was that possible? How, how did they portray that? And I think to me, that's that's a, a big issue for me. And I am disappointed in that. And certainly, it is my job, and always has been my job, to have my own opinions and debunk those opinions. 
But when you're told something by someone and many people over and over again, you, you have to coalesce a little bit and say, maybe these, these guys are right. So to me, that's, that's a very disappointing part of it. And the other part of it is, is, is what I see on social media and what I hear about the rebuild. And I want to be very clear on this one because I think that there's a lot of people that are missing the point. This is not a rebuild or a build in Philadelphia or in Chicago or in Houston or in Atlanta. This is in Miami. The owners of the Marlins want people to go to the games. And if anyone out there is listening that has this notion of, oh, it's okay if we lose 120 games and it's okay because we're going to have the first pick, you are not going to the games. I am. And so are some very few paying customers. They are not going to get paying customers to go to these games looking as bad as they are. And that is unacceptable from the Marlins organization and from their point of view. This is not like a city somewhere else where you're still going to get your core group of 10, 15,000 people at every single game. They need to make money. They bought the team. They have investors. And it is not a plausible scenario from your couch sitting somewhere else in the country and saying, I'm okay with the rebuild. I'm okay with them being this bad because you're not going to the games. You're not a paying customer of the Marlins. Now, if your point of view and your opinion is sitting at the game and you're okay with that, well, look, then you're coming it from the angle that makes it more reasonable because you're actually a season ticket holder. You're somebody that's paying for tickets. But how can you possibly say that not going in, – in, in, and a lot of people who are listening to this podcast are Marlins fans. How can you say that by going to one or two games over the course of the whole entire season and then plant your flag down and say, this is fine, it's okay, this is acceptable. You're not what the Marlins want. They want you at the games. And no Marlins fans, and, and in my opinion, they are not going to the games with an iPad or an iPhone with an MILB account and watching Sixto Sanchez pitch during a major league <laughs> game. This is the stupidest thing that I've ever seen. Don't give me that, oh, Sixto's doing great and he's good. That's fine from your couch. That's perfectly fine. As media, that's fine for us to tell you. But you're not paying $100 to go to a Marlins game and bringing in your iPhone and not watching the game and watching Sixto Sanchez. You're trying to watch a major league game, and they're not putting out a major league product. And so that's kind of where that whole tweet came from is I just don't think that people are looking at this from the right perspective. This is not Wrigley Field where you're getting 25000 every game, even losing 100 games. This is Miami. This is a new ownership group with Bruce Sherman and Derek Jeter. They need people to go to games this year, <laughs> next year, the year after that. So have some perspective on this. They need to make money. The organization can't continually lose money year after year and just, and just wake up in 2021 or 2022 and assume that 30,000 people are going to be in this game and it's going to be fine. We right. know that that's not the case. I've covered the team for 20, 25 years, whatever it is. So I needed to start off with that this morning and get that off my chest, obviously, because I just think that people who are talking about this rebuild being okay and everything is fine, you guys are not seeing the correct perspective on this. And let me tell you something else. I get, you know, I talk to people in the organization and I talk to people who are involved all the time. Let me tell you point blank, no exceptions, no doubt about it. These guys have been told they need to win. Mm -hmm. These guys have been told they need to win, period, end of story, point blank. Not all is okay, keep losing, it's fine. They've been told 
they need to win. So keep that in mind as we move forward. Wow, this uh, this episode, I might just label it therapy session with the Marlins. No, this is real. I mean, I, you know, the funny part is, is, is we've had plenty of conversation on this podcast about how losing 100 games can be done many different ways. Now it's also paced for 120 games, which is a totally different thing than 100 games. But I think that's the big key that, that you're discussing here, which is you can be bad. It's one thing to be bad. It's another thing for the product to be almost impossible to watch yeah unwatchable uh, and, is, and the few the you know the 5,000 fans that were in attendance last night after a run scored in what was I think the third or fourth inning it felt like the game was over you know and that's that's got to be a hard thing for the people that are showing up and paying money for tickets and of course it's hard enough for us as media going to games and watching it from the press box let alone going as a fan rooting for a team. Uh, yeah, so if, I, if the business of the Marlins was being run on television and no one had to go to the right. game, they didn't have to make any money, this would be a completely different story. Mm-hmm. But how is the organization supposed to make any money if no one's going to the games? This, is, this has been a problem since the Marlins have been around. We understand that. But all this is doing is, is exacerbating the problem. Right. And no, no one said, and, and I would, no one told me from the Marlins organization that they're going to win 80 games. Or even 70. Nobody, nobody thought that. I, and, and I'm not trying to pretend that that was the case. Right. But when you're this bad and, and you are thinking and considering about going to a Marlins game and, and, and you're having conversations, should we go, should we not go? Yeah, I mean, they've improved the experience. Yeah. They've improved the food. There's no doubt. But there has to be good baseball on the field. You can't score no runs every night. You can't do that. You can't expect people to go see that. That's not fair. So... Yeah. I was very frustrated the other night leaving the game. I was very, very frustrated because I, in order for this to be successful and for us to be successful, Jeremy, we need the team to be good. Right. I, I, mean, yeah. I mean, make no mistake about it. Why, why am I doing this podcast now in the drudgery of losing 110, 15 games? Because I'm hopeful in a couple of years that this is going to turn around and that more people will be listening to this podcast and I'll get more people advertising on this podcast. This is not sustainable for me either. They can't lose 120 games two years in a row or three years in a row. Why would anybody listen? Right. Because, I, because I'm breaking news every once in a while on the team? No, they're listening because they want to root for the team. They want to see positivity. That's what people want. Right. And it's, it's just it's, it's at the lowest point I can, I can ever remember. I mean, maybe since 98, I feel like that. I felt like this after they won. The, it was a little tougher in 98 because they won the World Series in 97. Right. And then they just completely tore down the team and lost a million games. And that, and I was covering the team a little bit then, but I wasn't living here. Mm-hmm. I did go to several games in 98, including McGuire's home runs there. I went to opening day when they got their rings, the, play, the players who were there. Mm-hmm. But I think that was honestly lower than this because fans were so upset that they destroyed the team. Mm-hmm. And then it tried to put a major league team on the field, which wasn't. But there were some young players on that team that ended up being great players for the Marlins. Right. So, and we, and that's another story for another day. But anyway, yeah. now that that's off my chest, we can <laughs> I can explain to you that that is the case. Again, summary: losing like this and looking like this is unacceptable to the Marlins organization. Make no mistake about it. You from your couch, sitting in Iowa, rooting mm-hmm. for the Marlins, saying rebuild and all this is okay. You are wrong. It is not okay. They need to play better. They need more people in the stands. And that's the summary on, uh, on this build. Rebuild. All right. One last, one last note on my part from that is I think it's one thing for us to distinguish too as media members to say, hey, look at the minor leagues. It's another thing 
for uh, a group of, of fans. And this is no disrespect to the fans' opinion and the fans' analysis. It's just more of we need to, as media members, dive into what's going on in the minor leagues as we're looking at the major league product. That's part of our job is to break that down for the fan. And it's like you said, if you're not going to the games, it's a little bit easier to sort of sit back and go, okay, it'll be fine in a few years and we'll just show up then. It's a little bit, it's different. And that's not what the organization wants. Right. Not at all. That's an unacceptable answer. Exactly. And And by the way, I think that it's gone a little too overboard with the minor league players and that discussion in media as well. Myself included. I do. I feel, I feel like it's been too much, but but again, there is nothing really positive to talk about. So it's finding the silver linings and things and looking in the minor leagues. But again, I, I just need everyone to have the correct perspective on this, because if you have perspective that what you're seeing is acceptable and they, and they thought that this was going to happen and it's perfectly fine. You guys are just so wrong on that. Mm-hmm. And, and you mentioned, um, you know, a couple nights ago, you asked Don Mattingly before the game on, on Tuesday, whether this was the worst season of his career. And, and his answer was pretty much that I, what's the feeling with Mattingly right now? How, how do you think Don is feeling through this season of starting 10 and 31? Yeah, it's got to be wearing on him. This is one of the best players that I've ever seen. I had a poster of him in my room when I was a kid. Hmm. Um, one, one, we didn't have the Marlins here. We had the, you know, the Yankees on WPIX. We had the Cubs, the Braves. Those are the three teams that I watched. Right. Mattingly chased a batting title. Uh, was the MVP, walked more than he struck out just about every year, was probably one of the better, best hitters I ever saw. He's been as professional as any manager that I've dealt with here in, in South Florida, and it's just really sad. It is. It's really, yeah. really sad to see how this is going to end for him. The only thing that I can hope at this point is that they don't fire him during the season because it doesn't make any sense. It won't matter. Making anyone else the skipper on this team, whether it's Trey Hillman or someone else, as long as the team isn't quitting, then I just don't see the need for it. And hopefully he gets to manage through the end of the year. And then at that point, of course, they're going to make a change. It's just, it's inevitable. You can't be this bad um, and, and, and survive this. They made the one change with Pagliarulo. I thought it was the right move. Nothing has changed since then. In fact, their offense has been worse since he's left. But again, I'm not criticizing that. I thought it was the right move at the time. You needed a jolt. We've seen it work before. Uh, they will get no jolt with uh, with firing uh, Don Mattingly. So right. I, I certainly, I will, uh, from a personal level and professional level, take my interviews and opportunities with him a lot more. I don't want to say the word seriously, but I will. I will remember these now because I kind of feel like they're going to come to an end at the end of the season, and I want to make sure that I make the most of these uh, before it's done. Because I, you know, he could end up still staying with the organization in some way, but I, I think we're coming toward the end of it. Yeah, and Mattingly, honestly, I've so enjoyed. So you mentioned that Mattingly is one of your favorite players. I grew up with my dad telling me Don Mattingly, Don Mattingly, Don Mattingly, Don Mattingly as one of his favorites that he's ever watched. And, you know, I I have so much respect for Mattingly and have so enjoyed being around him for the moments. Uh, there are moments where you guys see all of the interviews, you get all of the quotes, but there are the little moments in between interviews where, you know, Mattingly might just be sitting around and talking the game or talking situations from the night before and whatever it might be. And, and he's such a great baseball mind and getting to talk to him. Like I, it's, I really kind of an honor. it's, it's so hard to see him. So I, I don't want to say beaten down cause he's not, he's still got positivity about this season, but there are moments where, you know, you just feel for the guy who is in, sort of a with with this roster 
a little bit of a no-win situation. Literally. Yeah, I, I, I thought that I thought it, listen, it wasn't a fracture on on Wednesday night, but for the first time Mattingly did acknowledge the roster makeup yep. of the team and not having the, the necessary players in order to perform offensively. That was the first time mm-hmm. ever, maybe, since he's done that. I don't believe that that was a shot taken at anyone, but at some point he had to say something other than I think we're going to get better and we're better than this, which is basically right. what they're saying. He's, he's, he's finally said, we just don't have the guys. You know? right. And, and that, that, that was really something probably that should have been said a month ago, but I understand that April is very early to start determining who you are, and he wanted to give it the proper amount of time, and, and I think that now we're headed toward Memorial Day. In Major League Baseball, Memorial Day is a, is a big circle date for a lot of teams because you kind of think, are we in it, are we out of it? That's not to say that things can't change, but most teams kind of know who they are at that point, and we're a week away or two weeks away from that. So I certainly will, uh, will, will cherish these, these last few months being able to, mm-hmm. to speak to Mattingly. I mean, maybe I'll be surprised. Maybe they'll bring him back next year. I don't think so. But maybe I'll be surprised with that. But I certainly don't think at this point he is the problem. And I certainly don't think that there is any coach on the team that's going to be the solution for this. Yeah, that's that's for sure. And, you know, you mentioned Memorial Day. We are sort of reaching that critical point of the baseball season. But for the Marlins, it's not necessarily based off of what the on-field product will be right now. It's actually as we head toward the MLB draft. Um, the Marlins have to hit in this draft. And not just in the first round, in the rounds that follow. Um, if they want to be any good, obviously not next year, but maybe two years from now, it's going to be the next couple of drafts. There would need to be a drastic improvement if they were going to be any sort of competitive next year. Um, but, but how important is this draft? And, you know, do you have any early insight into who the Mar- Marlins might be looking at, whether it's the first round, the second round, and beyond? I know that there are a lot of people who are, are really into this. And I think that when you're building an organization like the Marlins have, the draft picks are going to be critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that there is no question in my mind that this draft is, is so important because a lot of the kids who they took in the previous draft are years away from playing in the big leagues. And so my guess is they're going to focus more on collegiate players. Mm-hmm. And at least the first two or three picks from what I'm hearing are going to be bats as well. And so we can start off with that. Uh, I'm also starting to get names as far as players that they are interested in and players that they could potentially be targeting. So I'm going to give you one here on this podcast. I don't want to let them all out yet, but we'll kind of do these one by one as, as we get closer to the draft. But a name I think that has to be on everybody's radar for them to take after the, the first. Let, let's be clear on this: in the first five, when they pick, they're going to take the best player available. I don't think that there's going to be a huge surprise. The names that we've been hearing are more or less the names that I think that they're interested in. But I think one of the key names um, and and kind of fits the bill as far as a player that they may be looking for is a kid who played for uh, North Carolina Wilmington last year, younger kid, uh, but also a college kid. Uh, His name is Greg Jones Jr., and he's from North Carolina. He's a very athletic shortstop, probably the fastest player maybe in the draft. Uh, I don't know that he'll fall to the Marlins, what they're looking for at that end of the first round, that comp uh, selection that they have. Uh, I know a lot of other teams probably will be interested in him as well, but I can tell you that there is definite interest in this player 
And I would not be surprised to see the Marlins take Greg Jones in the, uh, in the upcoming draft here in June. Yeah. And Craig, you're just giving us a little, little bit of tidbits and we'll, we'll keep, uh, we'll keep dishing those out, I guess, as, as they keep coming to you. But it is good to know that the Marlins are looking for bats because obviously organizationally, we see the juxtaposition between where the, the hitting is at in the minor leagues and where the pitching is at. Um, but one player back on the major league level that has actually been strangely a bright spot over the last couple of weeks, Wei-Yin Chen. Um, Wei and, Chen. And Craig, you spoke <laughs> with him, which was a blast. And um, I had some fun putting together the interview. Um, but You're going to have a lot of fun. I'm going to have a lot of fun editing that together. Uh, figure out how to do this one. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you spoke with Wei-Yin Chen um, through a translator. Uh, and, through Chow. Yeah, through yeah, Chow. And you know, what, what did Wei-Yin have to say and why did you conduct this interview? That's, that's the yeah. question. That is the question. Okay. So with a lot of the things that I do here on the podcast, and I do take a lot of pride in this, is I, I tend to think I'm a, I'm a good interviewer. It's one of the skills that, that, that most people have told me that I have a way of, do, of, of accomplishing good interviews. But I also like to think outside the box. I try to do things that you wouldn't expect to hear because I think that it's very easy to just pick out a player of the game or a player who's performing. And look, we, we do that also here. Like if, if Garrett Cooper keeps hitting like he's, like he's hitting since he's come back, I'll, we'll probably have Garrett Cooper on the podcast next week or the week after. And, and that's, that's obvious. But I'll tell you why Wei-Yin Chen. So Wei-Yin Chen, we know the story with him and how much he struggled. And I have been just as, if not more, critical of Chen's performance and and his injuries and everything that's happened to him since he's come but then all of a sudden something happened and what happened was Jeremy was uh, I am the assistant coach for my little league team and my son is six years old and so we play over in Hollywood and one day we're there and I come to find out that the team that's playing against my son his son Wei-Yin Chen is on the team and since that point, he and I have talked about this quite a bit. In fact, his team uh, beat my son's team. <laughs> and his son is fantastic. The young kid, he's going to be fantastic. Uh, best player on the field in any game that I've seen so far. Mm. And his family is there, and his wife is there, and his kids are there. And then the human part of you kind of gets tugged at a little bit, thinking, my gosh, I have just been crushing this guy for years and now our kids are playing little league together and so i've seen him a lot we've we've developed more of a relationship in than all of the time that he's been here in south florida and i i felt like maybe with with this kind of you know like resurgence that he's had a little bit in the bullpen where he's pitched well and maybe potentially he'd be willing to open up with me a little bit just with what's happened over the course of his career and the expectations that were set and he agreed. And so he agreed to do it. And, um, and I want to, before we move on, really thank him for that too, because he hasn't done many of these type of interviews before. But it just shows you that sometimes you never know when your life is going to get, your personal life is going to get in the way of the media here. And that's definitely the case as to what happened here. I'll make no mistake about it. I, I, I started to feel a little bad that, wow, like, like here I am right. just crushing this guy. And he's as nice as could be, you know, and, and he's a great dad and, and he's and he's going to the park whenever he possibly can to see his kid. And so we did discuss that in this interview. And I wanted to ask him about just how important it is 
and, and maybe teach a lesson for fathers who may be listening out there who have sons who are getting ready to play Little League or who are in Little League baseball. And then, yeah, we did dive into the contract and some really surprising comments for him about how, uh, you know, his family has perceived this and how you know, the outside noise, which has been crazy for him for years. And it, it, did, it did work out pretty much better than I thought it would. So I do want to take a moment here before we play the interview, Jeremy, to thank Wei and Chen for that, because without him agreeing to it, obviously, I never would have had a chance to do it. Well, and it's nice to have a little positivity here at the end of this podcast. I, uh, no, it is. It's nice. You know, I think, I think I'm not a complete tear down hey, guy. I call it how it is. I, what am I, gonna I say know that a billion games. What are you, oh, it's fantastic. Oh, I mean, I'm not going to do that. I'm not saying it. on your end. I'm saying from, from the perspective of, of watching, uh, I watch my whole life through social. You played baseball. Well, I played baseball. Too. Yeah. No, you know how I, it is. Right, but well, watching, you know, all of a sudden, Wei and Chen's son is on the other team. I'm like, man, what are you gonna like, do? Okay, like, well, like, I think that's something that anybody listening to this podcast could appreciate. Though a lot of people are have been taking literal personal shots at players for not thriving, and I think that that's insane. Like, if you want to be upset with how the team's performing, that's fair, but these these are human beings, you know. Like, that's something that we can take a step back. And it's really easy from behind a keyboard to say whatever you want. Um, I do it, honestly, w more than I wish I would. Um, I say things that maybe I wouldn't necessarily say if I was on the spot. Um, but it, it's, it's important to remember, and I think this interview will be a, a, a moment of that. It's important to remember that these are human beings at the end of the day. We're human beings. The people listening are human beings, hopefully not just bots that pretend yeah. they uh, listen to our I, And, and our before show. we play the interview, and I, I want to I add to that, and I want to say one other thing for those people who uh, I, I want, and I think I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but I want to mention it again. There are times that I will go to the uh, open portion clubhouse of the Marlins mm -hmm. over the course of the season because it is important for me, for the players to know, that if they want to seek me out about anything that I've said, that I am readily available for them and accountable for them, just like they are for me when I talk about them or they're playing on the field. And so that's been asked to me a couple of times, like, what is your angle? What, are your, what is your story today? And I have said, you know, my story is nothing. My story is I am covering this team as much as I can. Sometimes I'm going to say critical things. And, I, and if these players want to know who I am or what I'm doing, there he is standing right there. You have, you have an issue? You want to talk to me about something? I am there for you, just like you. Just, and the Marlins have done a great job about making their players available, better in the last two years than I have yeah. ever seen before. So I want to make sure that I am holding myself to that same standard, that if I'm going to say something negative, that they know that I can be approached just like uh, they can too. But anyway, that's the summary on that. Yeah, absolutely. And are there, uh, as we head into this Wei and Chen interview, any final tidbits or notes that you want to add, or are we just going to get right to it? Let's play the interview and talk next week. All right, sounds good. Sir. As we talked about earlier in the podcast, it was just really interesting that I'm at a Little League game for my son, and Wei Yin Chen's son is on the other team, a great team, and ended up beating our team, unfortunately. And we've been eliminated, by the way, from the uh, playoffs. So Wei Yin, I'd like to start off by asking about just how important it is for you to raise your son playing baseball and kind of how you thought about that journey to where you wanted to take him to maybe grow up to play professional baseball like yourself. 
Uh, yes, I'm just trying to develop his interest because since uh, he's been born, my wife been taking him to uh, watch my game from like when he was born. So uh, I was just trying to have give him the chance to play baseball and trying to let him have fun. I'm not like asking him to, like try to play seriously or until what age. I just want him to have fun because this is what baseball is about. Do you think that he enjoys watching you play or does he enjoy himself playing on the field? Yes, I think it's uh, both. He enjoys both because uh, sometimes like well, we're on the road and uh, with the game got rained out, he's, he'll be like kind of disappointed and uh, here we got a roof. So he like to, he enjoy watching me play and sometimes he will ask about uh, taking him out to play some baseball too. So I think he enjoys both. Yeah. Do you, when you watch him play, whether it is uh, a little league game or whether it's just practice, do you find yourself being hard on him as far as playing because of the elite level that you have become in your career? Can you just sit back and watch and allow him to play, or do you feel like you have to say something and kind of get in there and help him a little bit? I think I'm a little bit on the strict side because uh, I think there's a little bit of a perfectionist in me. So when I watch him, I would like to him not just toward baseball, but towards everything. You have to like be serious about what you do and try to do as fast as you can. So I'm not asking him to try to be a, like a, play baseball as a career, but whatever he does, I think he can take everything seriously and do whatever, do the best he could. Now, one of the things about your son and about your family is that in the game of baseball, there's always going to be ups and there's going to be downs. And let's be honest, over the last couple of years, there's been more downs than ups. When you talk to your family about it and you kind of explain what's going on, do you, do you guys discuss just how things have been going for you on the field and, um, and just how they feel about having to watch and having to, you, to go through the tough times that you've gone through? Yeah, I try to stay off the, about these topics uh, with my family because in the past sometimes my wife would give me some uh, opinions or advices but sometimes like uh, it would just get into my head and I tend to overthink about everything so I worry too much so now I don't really like talk to them about this because you know like playing baseball there's gonna be slumps and uh, you wouldn't you need to try to get through it but it's not easy to get through but if you think it's hard it's gonna be harder for you to get through this so now I just try to uh, stay simple and I don't and also I don't want them to worry too much so I try not to talk about too much about baseball stuff with my families now on the positive side you've been fantastic this month and even going back into April so things have turned around dramatically for you but at the same time, you're pitching in games, the team is losing all of the games that they're asking you to pitch in. Is there a part of you that says, I wish I was pitching in the games that meant something. I wish I was a starter again for the Marlins because you've, over the last few appearances, are starting to look like you should be in there again. Uh, I think I'm just taking one step at a time uh, here because at, at the end of the spring training I was told that I'm going to start from the bullpen instead of starting so it really took me a while to try to adjust to this new role uh, but all, all these guys in the pen like Conley, Stack and Romo they've been so helpful they shared their experience helped me get uh, making this adjustment so now I don't really care like what game I'm pitching just as long as I'm get on, I get on the mound I'm just trying to focus executing my pitch and try to help the team as, as best as I could. Okay, uh, the last one for you is that when you signed with the Marlins many years ago, you have to understand the fans have super high expectations. Uh, the money speaks for itself with the kind of contract that you received. Is there any part of you that looks back and even now and says, uh, you know, 
I wish it would have went different. I wish it would the whole time that I've been here. I wish it wouldn't went better because it was a good start. And then since then, a lot of different things have happened and it hasn't been the same. Or is it just something that you think is just was out of your control? And we have to move on because you can obviously understand the fans' perspective, how they look at it. Uh, yes, of course, because uh, signing this contract, it also put a lot of expectation on myself by by myself too. So uh, at first, I kind of tried to like be perfect, to be a better myself, better me than uh, when I was in Baltimore. So sometimes during the game, I even like kind of li limited myself and uh, not be as bold as I could on the field. But now I'm trying, just trying to make an adjustment, uh, trying to not focus on the negative part and try to just uh, be uh, get better as far as best as I could and and, and hope I can do uh, like not let the fence down anymore.